Well, this is a great story if you are involved in community kids. Maybe apart from the bit about the prostitute being in it, I'm not too sure how teachers would get round that one, but in terms of the marching, in terms of the trumpets, in terms of the walls coming down, I can remember Dave Enright. Years ago this happened and he was saying about uh, getting told off by the then elders of the church when he was a young man and had everything set up with all the kids climbing over things and everything, and all these big uh, cornflakes boxes all you know, everything that for, for the acting as the walls and massive noise going on of course David had all these uh, trumpets for the kids to blow fantastic story but then we've got this bit of the the prostitute in it and we feel a bit uncomfortable don't we and if I was to say about a prostitute and and go to the prostitute's house well you'd feel very very uncomfortable we're just reading the word of God wonder what there is in this passage for us as his people. Let's pray and ask him to speak to us, shall we? Father God, uh, we thank you for your word. We believe that all of this is your Holy Spirit-inspired word. So we pray that you might speak to us uh, through your word this evening, particularly in the context of the different obstacles that may well come uh, our own way. Uh, we pray these things in the name of of Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope we don't get the same obstacle that we occur, had occurred uh, this morning of about three times. I was midway through and there was the most incredibly horrendous high-pitched sound that just completely um, blocked out anybody being able to hear what I was talking about. Complete obstacle. Well, uh, there was something to do with the electronics and music equipment and everything else. And try as I might to carry on, I'm conscious of the faces that are normally faced this way. Where do you think they were looking? Oh, 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 oh. Obstacle to overcome. I wonder what obstacles you've had to overcome this week. I would imagine there have been several. Sometimes those obstacles are, uh, are quite sort of easy to overcome. Sometimes they're quite big, aren't they? Sometimes those obstacles can feel as big as a big giant wall. And that was what God's people had before them. Before we unpack that passage a, a little bit, I want us to just um, find out a little bit of what occurred between chapter 1 and chapter 6, because we kind of leapt uh, a little bit. Uh, last week and the week before, we were looking at, at chapter 1, uh, and we saw that God's people uh, were on their way to the promised land. Their great leader, Moses, had died, and God then says to his number 2, this, this then young man called Joshua, uh, now, you, get ready, cross the Jordan. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Great words to Joshua. We have no idea what he must have been feeling, but I would imagine a fair amount of anxiety, nerves. There's this incredible leader, Moses, and then Moses is no more. And as Joshua looks around, it's him who gets the call. Three times God's word comes to Joshua to be strong and courageous. And when God speaks in repeated fashion, 
usually that's into an area where we're needing to hear his words. I don't think it's uh, a great deal of speculation to, to actually deduce that maybe Joshua was needing to hear that particular word of encouragement. What affirmation, though, to know that this God would never leave him. And that's a timeless promise if you're one of God's own. Jesus promised it, didn't he, to his own followers in Matthew chapter 28. And maybe you're here this evening and you're thinking, well, I've not felt God for ages. I had a conversation with someone this morning that, that actually they were saying, well, great that I'm here, but I've not really felt the being into the God thing for a long, long time. Whatever we feel like doesn't change the fact that God is here. That God is real, that God is present. Some days we may well not see the sun or the moon. How crazy would it be to deduce that the sun and the moon are no more? We know they're there. God's word tells us, I'll never leave you and I will never forsake you. God's people also make a brilliant commitment to Joshua, which I imagine must have have made and meant a lot uh, to him. Whatever you command us to do, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obey Moses, we will obey you. Only be strong and courageous in verses 16 to 18 of chapter 1. The people, in essence, they're repeating what God had already told him. But what a response of God's people to his leadership they will all cross the jordan they're all going to then fight and then only those two and a half tribes out of the 12 and we looked at that last sunday evening will then return to their wives and children east of uh, the jordan where they had preferred to stay joshua chapter 2 Uh, Will we then get Joshua sending those two spies that are referred to in chapter 6? They are sent to spy and suss out the land so that they can see what the obstacles may well be. So that they know where to go and can formulate some degree of plan. They are helped by a prostitute called Rahab. And I guess if we're reading this we think, well, why weren't they helped by a shop worker? Why weren't they helped by somebody that worked in a garage or something, because that would seem a lot more palatable, wouldn't it? But not only was, were they helped by this uh, person whose lifestyle we may well uh, question, if I was to get a particular email uh, that was to do with a member of our church that was similar lifestyle to Rahab, that would warrant a response from the leadership. Not rocket science, is it, Really? And yet here we have uh, Rahab who is not just remembered but her cooperation of faith are remembered and even honoured in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 31. She's one of the elite names that are listed in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Most of the names there are being, uh, that are listed are male names. It was the men that mattered in those kind of accounts and don't Uh, shoot me that was uh, historically true but Rahab is included in it quite staggering almost as if God chooses to use sinners ah that brings us down to earth a little bit doesn't it it's just that maybe we sin differently don't we I hope we don't sit in judgment of others who may be Uh, live or do things in a particularly different uh, way.
We then uh, reach <clears throat> chapter 3, where there's the, uh, the miracle of the crossing of the Jordan. And what that must have looked like, I have no idea. But just a couple of phrases. Chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, the waters, it piled up in a heap. Now, I know what things look like when they're piled up in a heap, because all I've got to look to is my dining room table. It's very easy to see all the, the stuff that's cluttered up there, waiting for me to give uh, attention uh, to it. But water? No, really? Well, that's what God's word says to us. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, we read that in miraculous fashion, all the nation crossed including an army of 40,000 men. No sooner than they crossed, than we read in verse 18, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran in flood as before. Quite similar to the story that occurred 40 years uh, previous in terms of the uh, crossing of the Red Sea uh, in some uh, degree. We then get to chapter 5. Chapter 5 details a small um, procedure, a medical procedure of circumcision. There's a sense of pausing where all the men uh, had to have uh, this medical procedure carried out. So they were stopped in their tracks from going any further. Why? Well, that would have been painful. I don't think I need to unpack uh, that medical uh, procedure. They had to then wait until all the men were fully healed. God's people, the Jewish nation, had that as a sign that they were God's people. Well, the men before them, the previous generation had had that, but they'd all died off before actually reaching the promised land. You may well remember that the next generation hadn't. So they had to undergo that, that sense of circumcision. They couldn't go then into battle until they were all uh, fully recovered. That's chapter 5, but towards the end of chapter 5... Joshua is then met, met <clears throat> by someone declaring that he is the commander of the army of the Lord. Now just prior to that, Joshua had no awareness that this person was looking any different from you uh, or me. Uh, and so he said, well, whose side are you on? Are you for us or are you against us? He didn't quite know. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And instantly there was something that Joshua recognized this particular uh, person's uh, presence and their authority and he sinks to his knees maybe this is going to be God downloading some important message for him maybe this is going to be the plan of attack about how they're going to win the battle maybe this is to do with their mission or the securing the promised land what big news is this young leader needing to hear before they go any further Chapter 5, verse 15, the commander of the army of the Lord says, Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy. That was it. Well, that would have stopped him in his tracks, wouldn't it? From everything else that was maybe in his mind about all the things to do about the mission that he was there to secure and, and lead God's people in. Before you go any further, Joshua, just remember God's presence. Now, take off your standards. All we read following that is Joshua did so. 
Joshua did so. Whatever we feel is the right thing, whatever we think we should do, or whatever we want to do, what matters most is that we recognize we live for an audience of one. We need to remember the presence of God. We need to humble ourselves and ensure that whatever we do is in response to what God is saying to us. Not operating by another agenda or what I think or we think is the most important thing. If we go any other way, we're going to be getting into trouble. All of that is the broad brushstrokes before we get to this chapter uh, that Bob uh, read uh, to us with a slight northern accent I detected. What? Don't apologise, it was great. I'm not going to do an impression of one, because I wouldn't be very good at that. What does God say to us? Well, I think the first thing that comes through to me is God must be at the centre. We sang a song this morning following the word, Jesus be the centre. It wasn't initially going to be sung, but we felt led to sing that. Jesus be the centre. That recurring refrain that we could sing, but also to reflect upon that as a prayer to God. Jesus, be the centre. Because he isn't always in my life. Sorry to disappoint you. I'd love that to be the case. And of course, if you were to ask me the question, who comes first in your life? I know the answer to that. It's Jesus. I dare say when Sarah's involved in community kids, there are certain questions with the kids. Some of those will know sooner or later the answer is going to be Jesus. When I was a teacher in the first ever involvement in junior church, when I was in my 20s, we had a young girl, I can still picture her, long black hair. And her answer to every question was Jesus. She knew sooner or later that was going to be the answer. Jesus must be the centre. Well, Jesus hadn't been born yet, but the Lord is central to chapter 6. Did you pick that up? Or did you get caught up or sidetracked by the prostitute mention? Or maybe of the marching, or the trumpets, or whatever the tune was. And I'm not too sure what the tune was. Or those big walls coming tumbling down. And they would have been big walls. More about that in a little bit. Let me read to you some of the verses in Joshua chapter 6 and see if you can see what is central to this chapter. Because it's none of what I've mentioned in terms of material stuff at all. Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. This is actually after uh, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the beginning a few verses between verses 2 to 6. Verse 6, take up the covenant of the Lord. The ark reflected God's presence and is mentioned eight times. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 16, all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. All that is in it is to be devoted to the Lord. Verse 17. The silver and gold are sacred to the Lord. Verse 19. They, the, they devoted the city to the Lord. Verse 21. Cursed before the Lord is any man or woman who tries to rebuild this city. Verse 26. And so the Lord was with Joshua. Verse 27. Note the centrality of what this chapter ultimately 
is about. Amidst all the busyness, and this is a a busy, action-packed chapter, is it not? But amidst your busyness and mine, we mustn't forget that the one who is most central, or who should be, is the Lord. If we think about that in a church context, because that's easier for us to establish common ground, we are a busy church here. We are. There are some things we don't do particularly well because we're unable to resource those ministries well enough. So it means that people are stretched. And then others have another idea about what we can do. Well, that's then going to demand more people resources. I'm sure it's another great idea, but we can't do every great new idea, can we? And of course, the busier we are and the more stretched we are, the less time we've got to remember what we are doing that for and whose strength we need to do it in. And we haven't necessarily got the time to remember that. We mustn't forget that this is all about the Lord. In terms of our building here, a cafe area that's open about eight times a week. Busy comings and goings of different groups. Nearly, I think, just over 20 charities that are using this building. They're coming in, they're setting up, they're doing their activity. Out they go. And people are involved in that all the time. Busy, busy, busy. We mustn't forget the centrality of God coming first. The way we do church as church. This weekend, we've had Cafe Church Saturday morning. We had a a celebration yesterday afternoon where we had 80 that turned up to celebrate God's faithfulness and his provision of our being in this amazing building for 12 months. Church isn't about the building, it's about the people. But it's right that we celebrate what he has done. And we wanted there to be a marker for that. But that was, again, another um, demand on busyness. 80 people to feed. Roger and Nina rushing around like frantic uh, headless chickens in the kitchen and in the survey. Dave and Gloria as well. People clearing up after 80 people. And then, of course, we had church this morning, church this evening, and once a month we have encounter on a Sunday evening as well. Busy, 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 busy. Amidst the busyness and doing church things it's possible to lose sight of who you do that for because we're too busy doing it or we're too stressed out doing it you can sometimes feel the tension particularly if there's not enough people to go around think about your own busyness of the week that you have regardless of how busy please let's not say well i'm too busy to pray if we're too busy to pray we're too busy i'm too busy to well we must never be too busy to have god be the center of whatever our busyness is none of us could have had a bigger challenge or a life mission than the person of jesus but he never appeared too busy to do that which he had to do do you know he managed to do it without a mobile phone how on earth was that possible You speak to kids today, they cannot imagine that there was ever life before mobile phone. 
I spoke to somebody who's in their early 20s, actually, a few weeks ago, as we were wandering through the, the high street of, um, of Dorchester. I said, all oh, these mobile phone shops, you know, they, they were never here. 10, 15 years ago, or whatever it was, because there's no such thing as mobile phones. <laughs> You're joking. No. What, what do you mean you didn't have, you didn't have, no. Email? We didn't used to have that. And of course you go further back and some of you say, well I can remember, we didn't have washing machines, we didn't have dishwashers, we didn't have, we didn't have, and you can share all of that stuff um, over coffee, I'm sure. Life is so busy, despite all the advantages we've got. It's very easy, isn't it, to squash out the living Lord Jesus. Remember when Jesus spoke to one of the churches, said, I know all the stuff you're involved in, I know all the stuff you do, but you've forsaken your first love. And sometimes I need to hear that. I'm the pastor of a church. I'm asked to lead in prayer. I know how to do that. Go to visit someone in hospital. I can do that. But God is more interested in who is my first love. And he's more interested in that with you. God must be at the centre. Let's move on. Quite quickly, uh, try to touch on some of these other applications that come out. We need to exercise faith. Well, God promised Joshua, Joshua victory... But there was a massive element of faith here, wasn't there? When you think about what God had actually said to Joshua about the way that you are going to experience victory, this is the plan, Joshua. No comebacks. There is no plan B. What you're to do is, and he gets hold of his pen, and he's ready to write down the notes of this wisdom. I want you to march around a city... All the way round. And then when you get back to the beginning, to go back and just rest for the night, that's it. What? What about the next day then? Is that then? We're going to... No. You're going to then do the same. Walk all the way around the city again. And then come back to where you started. And then go to sleep. You're going to do that for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're going to do it seven times. And then at the end of the seventh time, there's going to be the trumpets. The walls are going to come down. Joshua, I want you to tell all your leaders, your sub-leaders, and then all of God's people, what my plan is. How would you have felt? A right Charlie comes to my mind. Would you have come up with that as plan A? I don't think I would have done. I've not got a military background. But I'm pretty sure that anybody that has got a military background wouldn't have come up with something like this. What on earth led Joshua to do it? Because it was a ridiculous thing to do. Humanly speaking. There's only one reason why Joshua did it. Answer? God told him. He had to have faith that what God had said was good enough. And trust him at his word. And that's what you and I need to do. God's work will never get done without faith. We know that's true. Because Hebrews chapter 11 verse 30, reflecting on Joshua 6, the writer says, By faith, 
The walls of Jericho fell down after the people had marched around them for seven days by faith. The previous verse we read, sorry, the verses before, verse 6, we read, Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. What is it that God is asking of you or saying to you that is a huge step of faith? Are we prepared to take time out to hear what God says to us? that then we act on in faith. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord in Isaiah. And sometimes that's the way it is. If we rush ahead and do things our way, it wouldn't be the way that God would necessarily put before us. We like to think logically and we like to think of the way that we can do it so that we're in control of it. We can cope with it. We know how to do it. We, 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 me, me, me. God sometimes causes us to take a step outside the boat, does he not? Uncharted waters so that we feel maybe a little bit uncomfortable and our faith is stretched. As well as that faith that Joshua was Um, needing to exercise there was also a sense of obedience as well a sense of obedience and that obedience is equally true for ourselves if we believe that God has said something to us we then need to be the people who seek to put it into practice well that's what Joshua did Chapter 6, verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, verse 6, so Joshua called the priests and, and he then went and did it. God spoke, Joshua heard, I'm going to believe that, right, I'm going to obey it and I'm going to tell the rest of the guys, the rest of the team. Huge challenge though within that. I didn't mention that this morning, thought I'd wait until we had this very uh, theologically astute group that come out on a Sunday evening, that marching for seven days running would have meant a breach of the commandment to rest on the Sabbath. Did you think about that? Seven days in a row. Would their theology prevent them from obeying? Joshua must have scratched his head and thought, how on earth? Can I advocate this? Maybe I can drop a day. It's a lot more palatable. I'm going to get a lot more receptivity. It's a daft enough plan as it is. Uh, We're going to walk around this five days and then on the sixth day, because then on the seventh, of course, they could have rested. Wouldn't that make more sense to God's people? But that was not what God said. Uncomfortable for Joshua. Not just with the bizarreness of what was said, but theologically uncomfortable. Joshua was told to get the priests to take the ark with them. That didn't usually happen in battle. But God said, so would their tradition prevent them from obeying? Can you imagine now the nightmare that's going on for Joshua? Firstly, he's instructed to do something on the face of it, pretty dumb. Absolutely no point at all. Secondly, a complete challenge to them theologically. And thirdly, a huge battle 
that contravened the tradition of what they were used to doing. Wow, I can remember some battles that I had when I first came here. How many can I reflect? How many can I get away with? Let me just mention one. Just looking around, at, though Dave would have probably, Dave and Joy would have probably been here uh, back then in the day, back in 2004. Uh, Ian uh, sat in the cafe, he would probably remember this. And uh, there was, um, uh, there was a, a, a little uh, lectern that, um, uh, that the, was there at, at the church at the front, in the building that we used to be in. And on that lectern uh, was a uh, quite a dilapidated and wrecked, shriveled up, mouldy looking uh, mat or cloth or piece of cloth that apparently 50, 60, 70, I don't know, X number of years before had come from abroad from some kind of missionary and it was on this particular lecture or anything. And it was facing the people. And on top of this uh, little stand was a big, black, weighty, heavy Bible. Can you remember that? And I can remember thinking, well, we worship the author of the book. But we don't worship the book itself. I can remember one particular Sunday seeing somebody bow down before the book. And I'm thinking, (gasps) that has got to go. That's an unhealthy focus. And so, well, let's kind of reenact this a minute. um, I wasn't planning for this, but just use your imagination. So here it is. It's been here since yesteryear. And, And then one week... I kind of like move this away, thinking I don't want that as a centrepiece, but I'm going to get probably told off because I'm new here if it's completely out of sight. Um, Well, I did get told off because it was, well, good sort of like two or three metres. That goes there. Well, I wrestled with that. Any idea what we did? Because it's not here now, is it? I learnt this from another, another pastor elsewhere. Week two. Week three, (laughs) week four, week five. I think you know where this is coming. If you're listening to this online and you're not able to follow, I'm moving a lectern inch by inch um, that also until it then disappeared. This was a great church when I came, but the, the question I asked more than anything else when I came, I can remember coming and I'd received... The church magazine, it was before the days that Grace uh, did it, and it was called The Honeycomb then, and I'd received some communication from the church secretary, and I'd been, I think, to one Harvest Festival service and one Sunday morning service, and I had a sheet of, I think it was about 33 things, of why did they do that? Why did they do that? And... For some of those questions, there were some very valid reasons why, and that helped me understand. A lot of the answer was answers were, don't know, or because we've always done that. It's important, isn't it, that we take stock from time to time and ask ourselves why we do particular things. I wonder how uncomfortable you were last week when the table that we served communion from was over on that side instead of that side. And you can think of your own things that may, we may well get all carried away with. Why is it we're, we're doing certain things in a particular way that's different from what my experience is? 
and I, I'm, I'm kind of like drawing this out because I think for Joshua, there was a huge challenge for him to confront tradition. He wanted to make sure that he was in obedience to what God had said. That was important. And he had the courage to do just that. And that's another thing that you or I need to express. We need to be a people who exercise courage. He needed to express courage in terms of putting that plan into practice, didn't he? For starters. But each of us need to face courage if we're also facing our own 20-foot wall. That wall behind me, I mean, I'm five foot eight, okay? John's a little bit taller, as we uh, know. What do you reckon? About 20 foot at a particular point? It's a visual aid that gives us an idea of how high... Now, don't worry if it's 22 foot or 18 foot. That's not really the point. Big wall, Yeah? And that wall would have, in, certainly in some places, been about 25 foot thick. So the enemy on this wall would have been able to fire arrows down, lob all, all manner of things down upon them, and yet God's people were having to walk round that city wall. That would have taken courage. But what about the size of our walls that we face at times? The fear that we sometimes face. If you go back in chapter 6 and verse 1, we read, Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. So the people of Jericho would have thought what? As long as we are behind our big wall, we are safe. We can feel if we hide behind our big wall, that for some of us we've allowed to be built up over the years through people letting us down, through a relational hurt, through something that's gone wrong in our family, through self-preservation. And we can contribute to those, those walls getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. This passage reminds us that with the right amount of faith, obedience and courage, any wall can come down. If we are hiding behind a wall that we've put up or we've allowed the enemy to put up, maybe tonight is a time for you to confess that, realise that and come before God and ask him to just do away and obliterate that wall completely. Now that's a biggie because it feels safe behind the wall, doesn't it? We feel exposed, vulnerable. But though God loves you as you are, he loves you and me too much to leave us in that place. And he's got his own way of meeting you with where you're at and meeting you in your need. But there are times that he's saying the wall's got to come down. And maybe for you, that could well be this evening. Maybe you want to take this away and reflect upon that, about what God is saying. Maybe you want to seek Christian counsel or to receive prayer ministry. I just leave that with you. Walls need to come down. As well as the courage that was needed, there was also an element of patience, wasn't there? We love to see things done now, straight away, immediately. 
that sense of waiting upon God is not something that's that becoming to us as a people very often. I struggle with that. I'm pretty impatient. And yet scripture is littered with the, the word wait, wait, wait. It had to be the right time. You can imagine these pumped up soldiers. We're going to go into the promised land. We're ready to go. That's the city. We know it's already been promised to us. So away we go. No. This is what you're going to do. Day one. Day two. It had to be at the right time, at the right pace, in following what God had said. And whatever we're involved with for God or in our lives... That timing, let's not go before and accelerate God's timing. That's a matter for ourselves to discern, isn't it? And this morning I touched on, as kind of like a a postscript really, the picture that we get here of salvation and eternal destruction. Because we have obviously God's people that are going to be saved in the promised land and that includes me and you, yay! But there's also a picture of grace as expressed to Rahab. Because she was uh, amongst a a people group that were pretty uh, uh, anti-God. In actual fact, if we go back a little bit at the the history, Jericho, based just north of the Dead Sea, was an abomination to God. Why? Because of the rebellious nature of the Canaanite people who lived there. Hence the judgment that came upon them. Um, So God's people had then crossed the river. But that people group then stood in the way of God's people occupying the land. So they had to go. But there will come a time where there's going to be that sense of eternal uh, devastation and destruction. Now, if you know the gospel, you'll know that to be true. Rahab had the opportunity to be brought out from that, didn't she? Joshua speaks to the two men who'd spied out the land that you can read about at your own leisure in chapter 2. And he says, right, we want you to now go uh, to, uh, to, to uh, he said in verse 22, to the two men, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. Bring her out. The prostitute. Bring The sinner out as a mark of grace. You and I have had the opportunity to be brought out from what we deserve and from what was going to be coming our way simply by God's grace. I'm pretty sure nobody's a prostitute here. We're uncomfortable about the phrase. But if we replace it, as I mentioned earlier, with the word sinner, that could be your name or mine. And we deserve that sense of being completely destroyed by God's judgment, through God's judgment. The wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Had a little bit of a blip there. Romans 6, 23. But the verse doesn't end there. The gift of God is everlasting life in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you're a member of Dorchester Community Church. No. Because you actually have have done all those lunch food parcels. No. Because we give to charity. No. By grace, 
you and I are saved. This is a picture of grace. As well as us maybe from time to time needing a reminder that those who've not tasted grace have sadly destruction ahead. Jesus spoke about there being the, 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 the narrow way and the wide road, did he not? So we've got that picture of grace. And of course we think of those people that we know, that we love. No plan B either there. Plan A is God saying, I've done everything that needs to be done. Now over to you to tell, to issue the invitation. However, it feels appropriate or right to do that. That's tough. That's uncomfortable. But whatever the uncomfortableness of the, the word that was given to Joshua, he had faith, he obeyed, and he had courage to do it, which means it's possible for you and me. Let's pray. Let's just allow a moment or two's quiet and stillness for us to think about what God might have said to us through his word. If you're listening online, just take a few moments out before putting the kettle on to do that for yourselves too.